0: this morning's reading is from uh, the book of John, chapter 10, from verse 1. It should be on the screen. Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep.
1: All right. good everyone again. As I said, my name is Scott. I'm the pastor here. Um, let, me ask by, let, me, let me start by asking you a question. Um, why would you baptize your kid? Oh, I'm not meaning to be confrontational. I'm not, you know, the job is done. There's uh, no taking back now, Eleanor. But, um, and it's been great to baptise Natalie this morning. But I'm sure this is a question that some of us are asking. Right? Why would you baptise your kid? Is it because of Tradition? You know, this is what we used to do with our kids. So let's keep it up. Let's keep the baptisms happening. Are we just kind of keeping up because of tradition? Is it because we want a fun, special event like this where we can kind of get everyone together again, kind of like a wedding? Another reason for the family and friends to come together. Is it? Do you do? Are we baptizing Natalie this morning because? You know, we're just covering her religious bases. You know, if God is real, we want to make sure that Natalie's going to be okay. So we've done this. But, well, in fact, I've already said that's not what baptism is really about. But why bother with baptism at all? Now, I'm sure all of us here would agree. We know that Michael and Eleanor want nothing but the best for Natalie, right? They wanted to have a good life. And deep down, isn't that what we all want? You know, for our kids, for our friends, for our family, for ourselves. We want want us to have the good life. But what is the good life? How do we get it? And what's baptism and Jesus got to do with any of that? That's really what I want to talk about today. What's the good life? And so why would you bother doing something so old school as baptizing a baby? So let's dig into it. Firstly, what is the good life? What do you reckon? What's the good life? It's it's something about happiness, isn't it? The good life is full of happiness. It's it's a life that matters, a life where there's purpose and meaning and significance with contentment and fun there. At first glance, getting that kind of life can sound kind of simple, but when you put your head into it and when you try it, it's trickier than it looks. It's tricky for a few reasons. For example, we all want life to last, right? You want it to go on, and you want the good times to keep going on. But, but, but things pass so quickly, right? You remember kindy, uh, primary school, high school? Just looking around the room here, for most of us, those days are gone. We want the good stuff to last. We want to you know, keep our friends forever, but it tends to not work out that way. And actually, let me ask this question then. Where does happiness even come from? And say, once, say you do find something that makes you a bit happy. A little bit of that thing makes you a little bit happy. Does it mean that a lot of that thing makes you well, really happy? A lot of money, a lot of love, a lot of travel and experiences, a lot of fun. In some ways, it, it can kind of sound straightforward when you put it like that. But it just doesn't seem to work that way. You've heard of Jim Carrey, right? Famous Hollywood actor. This is the guy behind Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. He's the guy behind The Mask. In the 90s, he's one of the top paid actors in Hollywood. He once said this. He said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. So, According to Jim Carrey, at least... There's more to happiness than just stuff. Have you heard of a book called uh, Affluenza? It's an Aussie book. came out in 2005, I think. Um, I want to read a snippet to you from this book. Here it is. And they say, Most people cling to the belief that the more money means more happiness. And yet when they reach their financial goals that they've set, they find they don't feel happier, except perhaps fleetingly. Rather than question the whole project, they engage in an an internal dialogue that goes something like this. I hope that getting to this level of income would make me feel contented. I do have more stuff, but it doesn't seem to have done the trick. I obviously need to set my goals higher. I'm sure I'll be happier when I'm earning an extra $10,000. See what it's saying there? We reckon getting more is going to make us happier, but it doesn't work. And yet we keep thinking that it will work. Tom Boyd recognises this. Have you heard of Tom Boyd? He was a gun footy player. Uh, in 2016, he was playing for the Western Bulldogs and he was instrumental in helping them win their first premiership in 62 years, which apparently, if you're a Bulldogs fan, was a big moment. He was signed, Tom Boyd was, to a massive contract. We're talking in the million-dollar-a-year range. And then suddenly, he quit listen to what he said he said i think the more money i've gotten and particularly because of the way my contract was shaped i think the thing i realized was it didn't matter how much money i got it wasn't making me any happier see despite what we keep being told fame success money these things don't actually bring real and lasting happiness in life There's a powerful reason why real happiness is hard to find. And one that takes us back to the whole God question. Let me try and put it like this. We want our lives to matter. But why should they? We want purpose and meaning in life. But why should there be any purpose for me? If there's no God who actually gives purpose and meaning, if there's no God who intends us for something more than just living and dying, then we can do our best to make up our own purpose. We can go ahead and choose whatever we want. We could even try the celebrity route to happiness and get rich and famous. But the problem is it just doesn't work, does it? And the good life, the happy life, you know, you taste bits of it along the way, but ultimately you've never really grasped it. I'm about to butcher his name, I'm sure. Jean-Paul Sartre? Uh, I probably got that wrong. He's a French writer and philosopher. He's an atheist man. And he was honest enough to put it like this. He said, if God doesn't exist, man, and he's talking about people there, not just males. If God doesn't exist, man is forlorn because neither within him nor without does he find anything to cling to. We're simply alone in the universe. In fact, one of his friends was Samuel Beckett. Samuel Beckett, there he is. Uh, And Samuel Beckett wrote a play. Uh, Beckett's also an atheist. And this play is kind of like his view on life. It's called Breath. Perhaps you've seen it. You can watch it on YouTube. If you haven't, go home and and just uh, Google it. Let me give you a brief summary of the play curtain opens on the stage and you see a pile of rubbish there's an indrawn breath like you know when a baby's born and the light on the stage gets brighter and then the light gets dimmer there's an exhaled breath the lights go off curtains close end of play all in all the play takes around about 60 seconds and, and, and Beckett is saying, that is life. That's life. In his view, if there's no God, sorry, in his view, there is no God, and so that is life. It starts abruptly. It ends pretty quickly. And in between, you just gather stuff that really becomes nothing more than, well, rubbish. But don't you want more to life than that? Don't we sense that we're meant for something more? And that, ultimately, you really can't be happy If that's all life is. When I was a teenager, uh, this guy, John Mayer, became really popular. Um, His hit song was, um, Your Body is a Wonderland. Yeah. Um, I really didn't like his music, but plenty of people did. He was very popular. But he has this song, I found it later, called, Something's Missing. And in the song, he goes through a checklist of all the things he's got in life. Friends, check. Money, check. Check. Good time to rest, check. Love, check. And he goes through thing after thing after thing, all through this checklist. But the repeated thing he says in the song, despite all this, he says, something's missing. Something's, despite everything he's checked off his list, something's still missing. And I don't know what it is. And the song really poses that question then, doesn't it? Are are we just kind of... Animals that need food and water and sex. Or is there something more than this? What's our purpose in life? Where does the good life come from? Do you know Jesus gives an answer to this question? He actually says relationships are the stuff of life. And intuitively, we know that's true, isn't it? That's why we love days like today where you get together with friends and family. It's why... That's why loneliness is such a terrible thing, because relationships are the stuff of life. But beyond the need for relationships with other people, Jesus says we're actually meant to relate to our God. He says we've got a a spiritual dimension in us. All of us do. It's real. It needs to be nurtured. And you can even kill it if you ignore it. Which raises the incredibly important question then if jesus is right can you ever find true happiness you know the life that you're meant for the the one with with meaning and purpose that lasts and is good can you ever have that life if you just leave your creator out of the picture two thousand years ago jesus came on the scene and he answered that question jesus says Trying to find this good life without God is like going on a goose chase when there's no goose there at all. It's an exercise in futility. Because imagine for a moment, there is a creator. He's good and kind. And he intends for you to have real life, satisfying and full life. If that's true, then Jesus' point is is a really simple one. If you're cut off from this God... It doesn't matter what you use to try and fill the gap, because it'll never work. It's like John Mayer said, something's missing. You're disconnected from the source of life. and, And that means sooner or later, you'll know it. You see, Jesus made, throughout his life, lots of extraordinary claims. He really did. But this morning, I want to focus on just one. Because... In the face of our often disappointed hopes about life, Jesus promises the one thing everybody really is after. He promises the good life, the full life, the satisfying life. Uh, Have a look on the screen. This is a part of the Bible that Anthea just read for us a moment ago. Jesus is speaking to a crowd of people and he uses uh, a figure of speech. He, He likens people to sheep. It's not that we eat grass and are dumb like sheep are. It's, it just, he says we, we, we need good direction. That's his point. Listen to what he says again. He says, I tell you the truth. I'm the gate for the sheep. All whoever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes... Only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. We live in a world with slick marketing and social media campaigns all around us. You can't escape it these days. And many things and many people, many companies promise satisfaction. Even you'll find religious leaders that do this. But notice Jesus says there is a danger in them. He says that they're like thieves. They steal, they kill and destroy. And in contrast to them, Jesus says, I've come so that you can have life, life to the full, life overflowing. He's not promising here that everything is going to be fine and dandy. If, you, if, just, if just you would believe in Jesus, nothing will ever go bad for you. That's not it at all. It, it, but it's a call to, to reorder our lives. Not to live chasing after money, success or, or personal happiness. It's a call to live our lives rightly under Jesus in, in relationship with him. Because that is what we are meant for. Jesus, saying, Jesus is saying here that this makes life full and satisfying and meaningful. And we ask the question, why? Jesus says, because that is what we're made for. So let me press pause there for a moment and get you to imagine something here. Imagine for a moment that you are a chainsaw. Right. Now, bear with me here. I mean, this is, You're a chainsaw. What are you made for in life? What are you made for in life? Well, I guess you're made for cutting down trees, right? And logs. And being in horror movies. That's about the extent of it. So what happens when someone decides to take you, the chainsaw, and they want to use you to brush their teeth? Exactly. What What happens is it's messy, right? It's ugly. It is not good. If Jesus is right... He's saying, I can tell you what you are made for. You're made by God. And so God knows what we are made for. He knows the desires of our hearts. And he is the God who can satisfy those desires himself. And not just now, but forever. One more thing I want you to notice. One final thing about the life that Jesus promises. Jesus makes himself the key to gaining it. Notice what he says. He, he says, I am the gate for the sheep. That is, Jesus is the way into the pasture, the way into the good life, both now and forever. This is pretty, pretty radical, but he doesn't say there's lots of ways. He says, He's the way. And that can sound, you know, just so dreadfully un PC, even unkind to us today. I get that. But if you pull back the lens a little bit, Jesus is actually claiming something different to a lot of other religious leaders. He's claiming something different to a lot of other leaders of big movements. Um, so bear with me, friend. But, but Buddha claims to be a teacher. He says, if you follow me, I can show you the way to enlightenment. Muhammad claims to be a prophet. One among many, perhaps the greatest prophet, Um, But a prophet nonetheless. Confucius was a, a wise man, a philosopher of life. But notice Jesus is putting himself here into a completely different category. He's calling himself the son of God, the giver of life, the judge of the living and the dead. He is claiming to be God himself and the one who can give you the full and meaningful life. The only one who can give you the full and meaningful life. No matter what you think about Jesus, that is a big claim. Was he too arrogant? Is that Jesus' problem? He just overstated things a little bit too much. Kanye West is perhaps one of the most publicly arrogant people, at least if you look at some of the statements he's made um, about himself. Uh, Let me pop a few of them on the screen. This is... True, legitimate, I've not made these up. You can find these. Kanye said, because it's like, yo, nobody can tell me where I can and can't go. Man, I am the number one living and breathing rock star. He also said, I'm standing up and telling you I am Warhol. I'm the number one most impactful artist of our generation. In the flesh, I'm Shakespeare, Walt Disney, Nike, I'm Google. My favorite one. I don't know what song he's talking about here but he said I made that song because I am a god. Was Jesus just some kind of arrogant punk, a little bit like Kanye? You know, most people don't think so. Most people who who met him say that he didn't come across like that he didn't come across like that at all. And yet Jesus did put himself firmly in the Superman class, he said, I and I alone can give you the good life. That's why so many people call him the man you can't ignore. Because if he's wrong, he's so wrong that you ought to have nothing to do with him. But if he's right, boy, oh boy, does that change everything. As a church here, we are convinced that Jesus is right. He, he wasn't lying. He was giving us a true account of himself, that he is the giver of life, that he connects us with God, and that he gives life the, the purpose and meaning that we were intended for. In short, we are convinced that Jesus gives us life to the full. We are convinced Jesus gives us the good life. And later on, I'm going to talk a little bit about what that means for our church in the year ahead. But but really, it's all driven by this, the conviction that Jesus gives the good life, that it's found in him and him alone. And so we just want people to have that life. And also, doesn't this explain why you'd baptize your baby? It explains what what Michael and Eleanor have done today. It's because they want what's best for Natalie. They're convinced that Jesus is who he says he is. They're convinced that that Jesus gives life to the full and, and they just want their baby to have that life. So they've baptized her. They've pledged to bring her up to know Jesus. They've pledged to pray for her, to read the Bible with her, so that she would keep going in that direction. Their godmother, Ellen, has pledged the same thing, to help and support uh, Michael and Eleanor as they do that. And what's what we as a church have pledged to do for them, to help them do that as well. Now, some of us are going to be here today and we come along for Natalie's baptism. Glad to be here and support them, but not really sure about all this Jesus stuff. If that's you, I've just got one small suggestion for you today. Take it or leave it, but here's the thing I want to say. You know, I've heard a lot about Jesus today. But who am I after? I mean, most of you don't know me. I might have met a couple of you at the door, but most of you don't really know me at all. But you do know Michael and Eleanor. So I want to say... Why not ask them what they think? Why not ask Eleanor or Michael what convinced them, what, what put them over the line, why they believe in Jesus? Maybe not all at once today after church, but, but, but maybe next time you're hanging out with them, just maybe, maybe ask them, what, what convinced you about Jesus? Tell me. I know it's not the kind of thing that people often talk about today, and so it might feel a bit awkward to bring it up. But I asked Michael and Eleanor before if, I was, if it was okay that I could say this. And they said, yes, they'd be happy to chat. And on their behalf, I promise they're not going to Bible bash you. Um, it'll be a conversation worth having. They'll make it really nice. If Jesus is the man you can't ignore, then maybe it is just worth having a conversation with Eleanor and Michael about what convinced them. But I know there are others of, other, others of us here today, and we are already in part of church here, convinced that this is Jesus is who he says he is, We're convinced that he does give this life to the full. And I said, in a moment, I'm going to talk about what that means for us as a church. But I just wanted to put it like this for us now, personally, for you. You're convinced that Jesus gives you this full and satisfied and meaningful life, right? So how's that going to shape life for you? How's it going to shape the way you prioritise your time this year? How's it going to shape the way and the attitude that you serve with this year? How's it going to shape the way you invest time in your Christian growth this year? How's it going to shape the way you express love to your church family, even to the person you find it maybe difficult to be around? If Jesus is the one who gives us life to the full, how is that going to shape your heart in its worship of Jesus this year? How is it going to shape the way you relate to your friends who aren't quite sure what to make of of, of Jesus? If Jesus gives life to the full, how is that going to shape your life? Often our hearts just cry out, I just want to be happy. In the truest sense of, of that word, Jesus says, I, I'm the one, I'm the only one who can fulfill that desire. That's got to shape everything, doesn't it? If we're convinced of that, it's got to shape everything. So let me pray for us now, real quickly. and then the band's going to come up here and lead us in another song. Let me pray. Our great God in heaven, we thank you for Jesus who promises us life to the full. We thank you that Michael and Eleanor along with the help of Ellen and the church here, have promised to seek to bring uh, Natalie up to know this life. Please help us more and more be convinced of this and to shape our lives around Jesus who gives us life to the full. We pray this in his name. Amen.